Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here you go. Here you go. Mailbag. That's the nothing personal word of the day. Mailbag is when I'm not really here. I'm there. And what we do is we ask you to submit questions, whether it's on Twitter, David P. Sampson or davidsampsonpodcast.com. You've missed the Christmas shopping. That said, if you order now, there's still discounts available. Great merch. You can see all past episodes. We even have the document of every movie we've reviewed every word of the day, every pick of the day, every wait to see, it's all right there for you to take a look at and reminisce about the year that we've had on Nothing Personal. Thank you again for your loyalty, your time. We do not take it for granted. So many questions have come in for these episodes. We just have to start and we're not gonna get to them all, but we're gonna start with this. If you were a commissioner for a day, what three things would you change or add to make the game more attractive to a younger demographic? Now you weren't specific. I'm gonna assume you meant commissioner of Major League Baseball. And if I were commissioner for a day, I wanna answer certain things that I would do not just to make the game more attractive to a younger demographic, but in general things that I would do were I to be commissioner. So the way you become commissioner, in theory, you could be an owner the way Bud Selig was, and then become interim commissioner because they fired the previous commissioner, a guy named Faye Vincent. And then you could become the full-time commissioner and sell your team. Or you could be in the labor department, like Rob Manfred was, started as a lawyer, and then run for commissioner and get voted in and become commissioner or you could be found by a search firm when a league is looking for a commissioner, get interviewed because you've run another business and then somehow get the votes and be commissioner. But either way, the minute you become commissioner, that means that you've received 23 votes in baseball out of 30 and you end up taking over the sport. The job description for commissioner, one, increase the value of each of your member teams. Two, increase the value of each of your member teams. And the third thing you have to do as commissioner is increase the value of your member teams. How do you do that? The best way to increase an asset that you own let's say it's a business, the way to increase the value of the business is to increase revenue and decrease expenses. That would be the maximum way. The way to increase revenue is that you search for revenue streams that are either A, not being exploited fully, 
or B, never existed prior. It is always easier, and this is a regular business principle, it's always easier to keep a customer and it's cheaper, more efficient to keep a customer than it is to spend or work to gain a customer. So keeping that in mind, when you're looking at different revenue streams, let's say broadcast revenue. That's a very big revenue stream that is national and local, but we're talking national now. You work with your broadcasters, and we see this with leagues all the time. You work with your broadcasters to under-promise and over-deliver. Anything that a broadcaster wants, you have to consider. Let's mic the players. Let's stick a sideline person in the dugout and let him interview players during a game. Let's interview managers during a game. Let's make sure that we have players who are available to do sponsor calls. Let's make sure that we've got players who are available to film commercials, advertisements, promos. Let's make sure that we go even more granular and we take our product, which is our players, and we use it to increase revenue. Which leads you to the second thing that commissioners deal with, which is labor. When you are asking players who are unionized to do things, it is critical that you either bargain for the right to ask them to do it, or you do it in a way that pays them, yes, in-season tournament, or in a way that they see a path to share more of the increased revenues. It's an old story with business, actually. Very often you have employee ownership and by giving employees equity in your company or ownership of your company, you are hoping that they are rowing in the same direction, that they believe they're gonna be compensated for the increased value. It's a big thing in sports where the teams continue to be worth more and players then feel like they ought to be getting paid more. It's why the NFL and NBA have a salary cap that is pegged to revenue. You increase revenue on the left, and players get paid a percentage of that revenue that's fixed under a collective bargain agreement, but 50% of a dollar is 50 cents. 50% of $2 is a dollar. Therefore, everyone is incentivized to increase revenue. The other thing that you do when you are running a business is that you grow your customer base. You give more people an opportunity to buy the product that you are selling. Certain, what, what's the exact word here, Coca? Certain boundaries exist. When you are an alcohol company, you can never market to people under the drinking age. So they're completely cut out of your marketing. Sports is something where there is no collar on ages. You can market to one-year-olds and you can, by doing branded baby bottles, you can market to 90-year-olds by branding walkers. And so as commissioner, you are overseeing a business like any CEO of any company. You're trying to grow your customer base. And the way to grow the younger customer base, getting to your specific question before I tell you what I would do as commissioner, is that to get kids, this was Rob Manford's main platform, and he instituted something called play ball. Play ball means 
Some of you may think it means taking over Little League and taking over the minor leagues and doing some of the things that baseball has done to gain control, which I'm completely in favor of, because the best way to control your ability to make money is to control the entire pipeline that leads to you making money. It's why being a middleman is never a good idea. Whether you're a drug dealer or a baseball operator, being a middleman, not good. A middle person, I guess we should say. The play ball initiative was getting kids to play baseball. Why is it so important to get kids to play your sport? Why does Roger Goodell care that people are playing tackle football? Why does he want to make it safe so parents are okay letting their children play tackle football? Why do teams in every city redevelop and rebuild and refurbish diamonds, baseball diamonds? Why do you see inner city, outer city, basketball courts being built? Because the theory is the more people who play your sport, two things are gonna happen. Either you're gonna find people, kids who grow into be, grow up to be, 4869. Either you will develop children who become professional athletes, or you develop children who have an affinity to your product, baseball in this case, who then become the buying public, ticket holders, or the children become titans of industry. And those industries, whether it's the car industry, whether it's the beer industry, whatever media industry doesn't matter, they will become business customers of your business. So it is always a good idea to grow your sport with youth initiatives. So the three things that I would do to make this game more attractive to children. Number one, is it okay if I say my number one is what baseball did, but they're going to keep doing if they're smart? And it was actually just voted by Sports Business Journal as the number one innovation of the year in the sports business, the pitch clock. Why did I care so much about the pitch clock? Why does the industry care so much about the pitch clock? Because no one wants to watch a three-hour baseball game. Ignore what you hear when people on internet chat rooms or in the comment sections of Twitter, when they say things like, oh, I don't mind the long games, it's fun, I have no problem with it. We ignore those comments because they're just not representative of the general public. When you are trying to get someone to engage with your product, whether it's by buying a ticket or by watching the game or by watching highlights, you have to have a product that has an underlying entertainment value. And it is easy for me to understand why soccer is in such a great position because you know exactly what the time of game is going to be. The pitch clock was put into place in order to shorten game times and it worked. It worked beautifully. Game times having crept up and up and up. This past year, this past season, they were down significantly. The pitch clock is being shortened this coming season, which in theory could save another five to seven minutes off of game time. Why do we want to make the game shorter? 
because we'd like kids with their meager attention spans to engage with the game. Number two, I would find a league. I guess the word is I would found, find, start. I like the Little League World Series, except how many of you know how a team can qualify for the Little League World Series? How many people understand what it means or what happens, what the process is? One thing that we have learned from children and from parents is that they love winning things. They love to be the top. They love to be ranked. I would create state-by-state competitions, not Little League. I would create a separate league where people play baseball and not only do they get ranked, not only do they play for a championship in their county, in their city, in their state, but hang with me, I would attach prize money to it. Now, I get accused of being full of business all the time, but can you imagine if you sent your child to Little League, and I'm not saying that your child is a professional athlete or that the children get paid cash directly, or am I? What if you made it so that winners of Little League leagues or Little League competitions, if they got a pot of money that was not to be used for a game console, it was not to be used for anything other than two things. One, baseball equipment, two, education funds. It is so easy with the way technology is now that in theory, you could start an education fund for every kid who plays baseball. And there are parents who care very much about educating their children. There are parents who would absolutely love when given the choice of what extracurricular activities their child should do, what happens if there were a system where there would be scholarships or the beginning of a five in Florida, what was it called, Coca? 529s, those funds that you put in that can be used for in-state schools. And if you don't go in-state, you can still use it. And if you do fund it, then you get tuition for free or limited. I want money going to kids and I want equipment going to kids. Money not for Hanukkah presents or Christmas presents, but for education and baseball equipment. Two, I want every major league ballpark as a host venue for Little League Baseball. Now we do things in every ballpark in baseball where once in a while you've got games, once in a while teams get to come and they get to play on the outfield grass or in the dirt on the, on the outfield or infield. How about an actual game in a ballpark? But David, that's insane. You ran a ballpark, you don't want kids on the field, it ruins the field. Guess what? We always said that because we didn't want to have to say yes to everybody who wanted to use the field. And now with so many fields using this artificial crap turf, the turf does not get hurt by activity. It costs money to open your ballpark. So I would, as commissioner propose, and I would secrete away some central fund money, which is money that's collected by the commissioner's office 
for all the national deals they do. And I would pay for the operating expenses of Little League games to be played in the stadium. Why? I want parents to have gone to a major league stadium who have never gone to a game before. I want them to see it. I want the child to play there and say, mom, I wanna go back. Dad, bring me to a game. The object is to get these kids into your pipeline. The pipeline that starts at being aware that you've got a team in your market. The pipeline that continues with caring what the score was of a particular game or if your team won. Continuing to going with a friend who gives you a ticket, continuing to buying a ticket and ending with buying a season ticket. That's the sales pipeline. So I would open up ballparks around baseball and enforce and ensure that games were played. Scholarships, equipment, games. Final thing that I would do in order to make the game more attractive to a younger demographic, I would ensure, and this is, we would do this Sundays, kids Sundays, run the bases, come and run the bases. It's a bunch of kids running around the bases, no one really cares. It's cool, don't get me wrong, but that's not moving anyone to the pipeline. What helps you build brand affinity? Memorabilia. Our players sign hundreds and thousands of items. I want winners of Little League games that are played in the ballpark. I want winners of Little League, um, excuse me, 4869. I want winners of Little League tournaments. All of the things that I want to put into place, the winner gets things from the home team. A jersey, a kid's jersey, something, a ball, something signed. But now, am I ignoring all of the cities other than the 30 cities of baseball, but it's really not 30 because of LA and New York and Chicago? This program is for the entire country. Does it sound impossible? No. You assign different territories. The whole country is split into territories. Florida Marlins, the Miami Marlins, they've got a little bit of Alabama. They've got a little bit of Georgia. They've got a little bit of Mississippi. Everybody's got different areas that covers the entire country. I would assign the home territory that a team has. Those are the little leagues. Those are the kids that you're in charge of. It gets funded centrally so it doesn't come out of a budget. There is plenty of money available in the central fund. And I would make sure that these tournaments that I'm discussing, the equipment, the scholarships, everything that I'm doing, is not done just in major league cities, but everywhere across the country. Lastly, as commissioner for a day, that's so weird, who would wanna do it for a day? I was senator for a day, I switched jobs with Senator Ken Conrad, that was fun. He wanted to run a team for a day and I wanted to be senator for a day. So I sat in the Senate dining room and had lunch meetings. Yeah, that was fine, but bring me to the floor. Let me take a vote. As commissioner, what I would immediately do is I would have a meeting with all 30 owners in one room, all 30 presidents in a second room, and all 30 GMs in a third room. The reason why I want separate meetings in the same place is now baseball has meetings, ownership meetings where owners and presidents are. 
occasionally GMs. Rob Manford then does a separate meeting right after the main meeting with one representative from each club. But there's a major communication problem within baseball, as there is likely in the company where you work. The reason I want to do in one day a meeting with all 90 of those people, 30, 30, 30, is that I want to get to the bottom, the true bottom of labor. Labor is the single most important thing that I would worry about as commissioner because I know I've got to increase the value of the teams. I know that's my job to build revenue. But my biggest worry would always be labor and keeping the game going because you remember the lockout last year. No one likes lockouts. No one likes strikes. No one wants to hear about the economics. But I need to have an exact understanding of whether or not there are blocks of teams that are going to stop me from doing what I want to do as commissioner in the next CBA. And on Nothing Personal, we talk about this quite a bit. We talk about how the Otani contract is gonna be an issue for the next CBA. We talk about the commissioner not wanting to allow a small market caucus or a large market caucus, trying to make peace. The best way is to get everyone together and make sure that you understand how to count votes. Who wants what, when, and where? That would take a full day. So along those lines, baseball is doing something else. And that's why we have a second question about it. Hello, David. Hello. I read the other day, now this may be a week old or so, but it, I got this the other day, I guess. I read the other day that MLB is having its top prospects play each other in spring training. Can you explain to me why this has never happened before? So let me tell you what happened here because it's pretty funny and pretty interesting. During spring training, we what you see on the website and when you go to a spring training game, that's called an A game. An A game is your regulars, your 26-man roster, your 40-man roster. It's getting your pitchers ready for the regular season, your hitters ready for the regular season. People buy tick. excuse me. Well, that was weird. P excuse me. Ready? Wipe that, Coca. Ready? Four, eight, six, sixty-nine. A games are in the regular spring training ballpark. They're ticketed events, and it is players getting ready for the regular season. Sometimes you read about what's called B games, and not that's not a split squad. Split squad is two A games on the same day. A B game is your minor leaguers who are playing either against themselves or against other teams, minor leaguers. And they take place on regular baseball fields, but they take place at a spring training complex because all of our spring training complexes have extra diamonds, which are used for workouts during spring training. They're used during the course of the regular season for injured players, Florida State League, the Arizona Fall League. All of these different diamonds are always used Sometimes the community uses them for high school games or college games, never elementary school games, and not Little League games the way I'm suggesting, at least not often. But B games happen with umpires. The rules can be different. You can have a player lead off every inning. You can have a pitcher pitch to one batter instead of three. 
but B games happen. The players playing on the B games are assigned to those B games by the coaching staff and the development staff who make the spring training plan. So every year when you get to spring training, you get a full schedule. Here's what's going on every day. Before games start, there's workouts. The players are split into groups and it's posted on the board. Group A starts at field three with infield. Pitchers, group C are doing PFP on diamond four. Infielders are doing infield on the half field. It's a schedule, it's a rotation. Major League Baseball said, we've got a better plan. And they are starting this plan this coming spring. And it all comes from insecurity. Do you remember last week when we did a show and we talked about NFL? The NFL may start their season in Brazil the way Major League Baseball starts their season in Korea or Tokyo or wherever they are on a particular year. And we said to you that not often does NFL copy MLB because MLB really wants what the NFL has, which is all of these days in the calendar that are events that are just owned by the NFL. One of those is the draft. The draft is huge. The networks love buying the draft. There's pre-draft, there's post-draft. The draft for the next year starts the minute the current year draft ends. Who is your top 100 draft picks for next season? It's insane. And when players are drafted in the NFL or NBA into those leagues, they appear on the teams months later. In baseball, it's not like that. You can draft a player out of high school and you don't see him for four years. If you're lucky, you could draft a guy who's a junior in college two years away. And so baseball has never been able to get anyone to buy into the draft because no one's heard of the players. So then baseball said, here's what we're gonna do. As part of the all-star festivities, we're gonna do something called the futures game. These are the future all-stars. Come to the all-star game and as part of your ticket strip for $10 zillion, you're gonna see the best prospects, all-star prospects, future all-star prospects playing in a game. Raise your hand if you watch a futures game and you haven't heard of a player. Everybody, hands up, baby, if you're sure. How do we cure that? Well, one of the initiatives is that during in-game entertainment of the big league game, there'll be a segment down on the farm. We'll give you scores of our minor league games we will follow certain players, give you their stats, but our fans still don't really have a relationship to the player. They couldn't pick the player out of a lineup. So now MLB is saying, here's what we should do. Since everybody is in Arizona or Florida for spring training, instead of B games being hidden away on a backfield, Let's do like a preseason tournament, copycat IST, and let's get the top prospects from the Phillies to play the top prospects from the Marlins, but instead of a backfield, let's do it in the main stadium as part of a double header. So it's a ticketed event where fans get to watch these top prospects from several teams play and stay for the spring training game. 
which of course, if you've been to an early spring training game, you know that regulars get one or two at bats for the first couple of weeks, maybe three. And then you get a bunch of people with number 69 with no name on the back of the jersey. They come in and play right fielder, center fielder, third base. They get an at bat, they pitch an inning or so. So what exactly is MLB gaining by doing this huge event that they're calling spring breakout? What's the advantage? I racked my brains trying to answer this question. Do you believe that if a spring training game becomes a doubleheader where the top prospects of your team are going against the top prospects of another team, that that will increase your knowledge of those top prospects? What's the problem with what I'm saying? If you are a fan of the Cleveland Guardians, are you going to spring training? Some people do. There's a bunch of tourists who come in from the cities. St. Louis people come to Jupiter, Florida and go to Cardinal games. But what percentage of your fan base is attending spring training? Just if you had a guess, let's say the capacity is 15,000. And let's say that you play 20 home games just for fun. Would that be good attendance for most teams? It's not even a tenth of the attendance that people would pray for trying to draw a couple million. The only benefit of having top prospects play would be to play in your home stadium at home, not during spring. But teams didn't want to do that. Baseball didn't want to do it because your prospects are playing minor league baseball during the course of a season. And no one wants to pay for those players because the minor league teams are not in the home city to fly to the home city and play a game. So getting back to commissioner for a day, I'm gonna, I like the field of dreams game. I like the fact that they're playing. We played at Fort Bragg and we're always looking for different fields. Tony Petiti started this with Rob Manford where there's a game every year that ESPN picks up and they pay a little shtuple. They really don't care that much. And it's a, uh, it's, it's a themed game. I would like to take a pot of money and bring in my top prospects, not to the all-star game, not to spring training. I want them in the big league ballpark. How about that as a one single admission doubleheader several times a year where your prospects are there playing a game. It's like your own team's future game. That is the best way that fans in Major League Baseball can get a look at the pipeline and then get some sort of attachment. Because minor leaguers would be more than happy before and after the game to meet the fans, to sign autographs, to hang out. They love that stuff. Big leaguers don't want to do that. You force them to do it, but they don't do it often. But these minor leaguers would hang out. They'd spend the whole major league game talking to fans, meeting with fans, meeting with your corporate partners. That's what I think should be done. The spring breakout? Eh. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400 or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425 right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 
in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Okay. David, hello and good day. I just got my Christmas bonus. Hey, way to go. Uncle Sam took a good chunk before I could see it, obviously. Wondering how players in sports get taxed when it comes to all-star games or maybe the play-in tournament. Do their winnings get taxed like my bonus? What tax rate is used for the Lakers winnings of 500 grand for the play-in tourney, but it's the he meant the in-season tourney or she. The event happened in Nevada. The employees work in California and the business headquarters is in New York. Thanks for the podcast. It's my favorite. Well, I appreciate that. I truly do. All right, let's talk taxes. Do you pay taxes? Well, if you get a paycheck, you pay taxes. Do you own a company? Well, if you pay employees, you have payroll taxes. Several types of taxes exist. Social security, which you may or may not ever see when you're old. You pay some insurance. You pay some FICA. You pay federal income, state income. In a state that has no income tax, there's no state tax. But believe me, you pay property tax. But when you get a salary, when you go to work, let's say you make $60,000, you do not get paid $5,000 a month for 12 months. Your employee tells you that's what you get paid, but you don't see that in your bank account. You may be wondering why, let's say the tax rate is 40%, which, you know, add up everything, it's likely not that high, but for math purposes. That means that you are paying $24,000 to the government, and you are taking 36,000 home, which means you're getting 3,000 a month, not 5,000. So when you're deciding what your budget is, what home you can afford, what clothes you can afford, what vacations you can afford, you do it based on your net income. Net income is gross income, to make it simple, gross income, the salary that you're given during your year-end review, subtracting taxes, and that's your net income. Now, of course, there are deductions and things you can do. There's 401ks, but I'm just trying to make it as easy as cherry pie. A bonus is just like extra salary. We call it a bonus, and the reason we call it a bonus is that when we give you a 3% raise over your salary, we don't wanna give you a 3% raise from a big number We want to give it to you from a smaller number, which means your raise is smaller. So if you get a $60,000 salary and then a $5,000 bonus, next year, 
in theory, you'd get a raise off 60,000, not off 65,000. That may not sound like a lot, but added up overall employees, and that's why companies tend to give bonuses. But when you get your bonus, you will see all of the taxes taken out as though it were a bi-weekly paycheck. When you are an athlete, your tax returns are pretty complicated because you have earned money in a lot of different states and those states want the taxes. Now we could talk about Otani and deferral, by the way. Actually, can we do that, Coca? Like, can we just take one minute? There, do you mind? I can't hear you, but I hope you don't mind. There has been a lot of talk about Otani's deferral and the fact that he may be saving himself tremendous money by not paying California tax, except for the $2 million he's getting paid for 10 years. Then he can move to a state without tax and get paid the 68 million a year for 10 years and have no state tax. And that would be a huge savings. And there are people who have opined that this is totally fine and that's how it's gonna work. And that when you defer compensation more than 10 years out, you get to be taxed at the place that you are versus the place that you were. Here's the thing. The state of California is going to make an issue of this and they are going to find a way to tax Shohei Otani. They are not gonna let tens of millions of dollars in taxes walk out the door. So when you are deferring money, just be aware that you may wanna get what's called a tax opinion from your accountant because Shohei may have been counting on income that he may not actually get. But what players get taxed at the end of the year is there's a calculation. Let's pretend that a player makes $162,000 a year. And I'm doing this just for the ease of math. You know, the minimum's like 750. That would mean $1,000 a game. What the accountants for the players do is they count the number of games that are played in each particular state, they get the schedule. If you're the Marlins, you play the Mets nine times. Nine out of 162 games are played in New York. You get taxed on $9,000 of earnings, $1,000 a game. You get taxed New York tax rates. When you play in Florida for the Marlins, you play 81 games. That's half your calendar, plus three in Tampa. Don't forget those, but just assume 81 half. That means that half of your $162,000 payroll salary has no state tax associated with it. There are players who have argued that spring training should count because spring training is in taxless states, Arizona and Florida. And players are saying they do months of their work out of their job in Florida or Arizona. More aggressive players, handle their taxes that way. Less aggressive players do not because they recognize that there's opportunity for audit. When you earn bonus money, whether it's an incentive for games finished, for plate appearances, whether it's a $100,000 bonus for winning the Cy Young or for being MVP, or what about the players last week who got part of that pre-ARB pool as part of the CBA? Remember that $50 million they were arguing about that comes from Major League Baseball, it gets given to young players who have not yet hit arbitration. 
and it's a way for younger players to get more, which in theory was part of what the union wanted. And Julio Rodriguez, the Mariners guy, made an extra 1.8 million. And the Marlins pitcher, Yuri Perez, made an extra 250 grand. This is real money to almost every rookie because not many of them have the Julio Rodriguez guaranteed deal. But when you get paid that money, that money will be taxed to you wherever you live because that money is not associated, I would argue persuasively, with your actual games played. As opposed to when you win the Cy Young Award, I would argue that there's a chance that the IRS could say, hey, you earned one one sixty second in e each game because you needed every game to be a Cy Young winner or an MVP award winner. I could also easily advise my client, hey, just take that as regular W-2 income, which is W-2 is the piece of paper you get when you work that shows what your wages were, what your wages earned, and just pretend that those were wages you earned wherever you live. There are arguments to be had for both. For the Lakers who just won the in-season tournament in Vegas, I can guarantee you Nevada with no uh, state tax that the 500 grand that they all got, they're going to claim that that was earned in Vegas. Now, I would tell you that's not exactly the case. And I'm not trying to give away a tax position, nor am I giving tax advice to anyone. But the only games played in Vegas were the semis and the finals. The play in, the play in, there I go. That was the question. The in-season tournament, that was a bunch of regular season games that were played in different places. So it's pretty hard to argue that the 500 grand I got was only for the finals and semis because I had to do well in the group stage just to get there. Suffice it to say, there are many, many tax avoidance measures you can take. There are many tax positions you can take. Depends on your level, how aggressive you wanna be. Depends on how willing you are to withstand an audit. My view is always to be as conservative as possible because why get involved with the IRS? It's not worth it. So that's the tax question. Okay. One more Coca? How about it? Okay. David, could you please discuss the relationship between the front office and the broadcasting crew? How are broadcasters selected and how are they let go? Happy holidays. Can I say the name? This came from someone named Preston. And the only reason I'm bringing you up Preston is you said, I was proud to have snuck into the press box at Olympic Stadium to meet Dave Van Horn in 2000. Preston, I'm putting your question on here because I'm despondent. I was running the Expos in 2000 and the thought that someone was able to sneak into the press box mortifies me. I'd like to go back in time and fire everyone, including myself for that breach of security. Anyway, Preston, thank you for the question. Relationship between the front office and the broadcast crew. <sighs> this is so good. My relationship with the broadcast crew was always positive because I always believed that it's about entertainment. It's about information. It's about getting people into the pipeline. 
I want them watching games, paying attention to games, because then maybe they'll buy tickets and care about the team, buy merchandise, help increase the value of the team. The baseball department couldn't stand the broadcast crew because they're on the team plane. They're hanging out in the clubhouse and they're just around and they're criticizing the players and the players can get angry. I didn't want home broadcasters. I wanted our broadcasters to tell the truth. I wanted them to respect our audience. If we make an error, if we make a bad trade, if we do something, I am fine with the broadcasters talking about it the way they feel. But I've got to give them information. So when we make a trade or make a move or make a signing, we would speak to our broadcasters and explain why we did what we did. We're cutting payroll because of X. We're raising payroll because of Y. We got rid of this player because of Z. I want broadcasters not to speculate. We would go into the broadcast booth during games all the time to pass notes to the producer, to get to the broadcasters or wait to speak to them in between innings when something was going on, when we heard something that we didn't like the way it was said and we wanted them to clarify it. But if they're calling out a team that's not playing well, it's likely because we're not playing well. As long as it's not personal, I'm totally fine. So the relationship between the front office and the broadcast crew can be tense. There are members of front offices that don't enjoy interfacing with broadcast crews. And I just, I'm on the opposite side of that. The way they are selected is based on the contract you have with your TV partner. In some cases, the team gets a chance to hire the broadcasters, even though they're paid by the network. In some cases, the teams have consultation rights. The network hires the broadcasters, but the team gets consulted. Sometimes the teams have approval rights. Approval rights are when the network chooses someone, but you have the right to say no thank you or yes thank you. I spent hours of my life looking at broadcaster tapes before we hired people like Len Casper or any of the people we had on radio or TV. You are trying to find someone who is going to be the voice in the head of your consumers, of your customers, of your supporters. Shout out to Cooligans. Do you remember what happened with uh, Kevin Brown of the Orioles? Remember, not the player, the broadcaster. Remember the broadcaster who got suspended? by the Orioles, and then he was brought back and I said he's gonna get an extension. Remember when they're critical of owners or of the team, or they do something wrong like Tom Brenneman and just get fired and there's a drive to deep left field? It is a complicated relationship. It's a complicated selection process because it's one of those jobs where when you hire someone, you're hoping that they turn into Vin Scully. You're hoping they are your broadcaster for decades, not years. You are hoping that generations grow up with the voices who you are hiring to represent your product. That is the goal. It does not always happen, but it is certainly something that we try to make happen. That's it. That's it. Well, I guess we're gonna have to do another mailbag episode. Until then, thank you. It's just business. Mailbag, this is nothing personal.